Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the super excitable ermine next to me is Ellen. Ermines are in the Stout family and the Weasel family, so I hope Hagrid doesn't eat me. (laughs) Well, that took a turn. Maybe we should just do the thing. Yeah, let's just keep rolling. Into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 20, the first task, and the film scenes that still corresponded, but also didn't. Hermione doesn't find Crumb and his giggling gaggle of gawking groovy girls very conducive to a productive library environment. The movie did Hannah Abbott dirty, but that's no shock to anyone. Harry tells Cedric about the dragons, and Cedric realizes that maybe he's been more of a dick than a puff should be. Malfoy finally got his moment in the sun as the amazing bouncing ferret. McGonagall mentally kicked herself for changing him back to human. And Moody does everything short of drawing diagrams to help Harry play to his strengths. During episode 86, Hold My Butterbeer, our Potter pondering was, Would you rather hang out with the Dursleys or face a dragon? Sarah said since she's gained the COVID-19 and is now working on the vaccine 15, she'd feel less self-conscious and bad about herself if she hung out with the Dursleys. She'd probably end up eating less than Dudley, so that'd make her feel better about herself. Plus, she likes to watch TVs, and they have, like, 416 televisions in their house. Lastly, if she faced a dragon, she'd probably just get burnt to a crisp. She'd rather eat the crispy bacon than be the crispy bacon. I think everybody would agree with that. Right, that sounds like a universal opinion. Robert said, give him the big one that's constantly on the verge of blowing smoke out of their nostrils and a cause of danger when you're nearby. Yeah, he's with the dragon. (laughs) Max said he and Uncle Vernon are hitting every pub in Little Whinging. By midnight, Harry won't have a home and he'll have a beautiful new family. Wow. Wow. Wow, Max. Come on. He really does not like Harry. He doesn't. Does he like this series at all? I don't think so (laughs) (laughs) we wonder about you max dave said dragon number one it's exciting not boring like the dursleys number two if it goes bad at least you're out of your misery quickly number three nobody cheers for you if you survive a day with the dursleys but they should (laughs) maybe they should those satchels (laughs) of assholes Mm -hmm. juliana said she's not an outdoorsy person so she'll sit with the dursleys and watch the news Or maybe she'll torture them by going to the reptile house in the zoo. (laughs) Carly said she thinks dragon, because, like, that would at least be exciting. And she could try to make the dragon her friend. She would. (laughs) Such a Hufflepuff. That is such a Carly response, and I love every minute of it. Quincy said he'd rather shove a wand up his dickhole so he can piss magic. So that was an answer. Also, Quincy, sorry that Facebook didn't consider your response to the previous episode's Potter Ponderings to be relevant, causing me to miss recording them in the episode. I know you love hearing your name on the podcast, Quincy. Quincy, Quincy, Quincy. There you go. Made up for it. Mike said since he's not Harry and not magic, he'd rather hang out with the Dursleys. 
He feels like they'd be nicer because he's not him. And more to the point, they won't eat him after charring him to the bone. Would be sweet to see a dragon in real life, though. Amanda said the Dursleys. As cool as dragons are, she fears death more than the satchels of assholes. She's too slow and clumsy to be able to be around any kind of dragon. She'll admire them from afar. Kenneth said definitely the dragon. You can't go to the band for using magic on the Dursleys. <laughs> Jackson says dragon and Alice agrees because those people are absolutely awful. Of course, those people meaning the Dursleys and not Jackson and Alice. Right. We're yeah. definitely referring to the satchels of assholes being absolutely awful because Jackson and Alice are awesome. They really are. <laughs> Our other Potter pondering was, when do you think the rule about not using transfiguration as a punishment was first implemented and why? Robert said the rule of punishment was, he believes, implemented in 1987 during the rise of the Dark Ages. Using transfiguration as a punishment insists that you are torturing someone, and unless you're Moldy Voldy or the horrible hag Dumbridge, then it's heavily frowned upon. He really thought about that. Dave said he doesn't know why Transfiguration was banned as a punishment, but he has wondered why teachers are allowed to use other spells as punishment. What's the difference? I don't know. Who knows? Juliana thinks the better question is, did Dumbles outlaw the use of Transfiguration as a form of punishment, or did he cause it to be outlawed? I mean, I feel like maybe he did it to himself. So both. <laughs> why not both? Yeah. <laughs> Carly said the rule was implemented in 950 when Professor Merlin decided to transfigure a particularly rowdy student, I believe a young Gryffindor by the name of Lancelot, who kept trying to show off for girls by transfiguring Professor Merlin's owl, Archimedes, into flowers. Professor Merlin transfigured him into a small owl who struggled to fly. After that, Lancelot was more subdued but well-behaved. The residing headmaster decided that it had given the poor boy some early form of PTSD and gave him a hero complex, so it shouldn't be used as a punishment any longer. Talk about putting some thought into right? it. Right? Jeez. Mike feels like the transfiguration punishment probably existed around the same time as hanging students by their thumbs in the dungeons. He knows Filch said he experienced that firsthand, but since Molly went to school pre-Filch as caretaker, and he believes Dumbledore was already there as headmaster, it must have been way before that. He wouldn't have tolerated that at all, even as a teacher or a student, he bets. Seems medieval era to him. Hmm. Quincy thinks Dumbledore implemented the rule first. The killjoy. <laughs> Amanda would hope the founders realized it was a cruel method of punishment and stopped it before it started. But the real reason is probably because some asshole teacher thought it would be a fun and humiliating way to put the students back in their place, but got carried away one time and a student was forever a teapot or something. I like that. Uh -huh. <laughs> Kenneth thinks McGonagall made that up on the spot. Only a Death Eater would consider doing that to a kid. Great responses this week. Yeah. Our trivia question last week was, List the champions and the dragon that each one of them faced. Cedric was up first against the Swedish short snout, then Fleur with the Welsh green. Crumb was third facing the Chinese fireball, Ooh. <laughs> which left Harry to go last with the Hungarian horntail. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley. He's at seven weeks in a row and this is the furthest he's ever made it in a streak. If he can win this week, he will actually Finally, tie the record at eight weeks in a row. 
He always chokes at this point, so let's see if he can do it. Yeah, I completely forgot about the trivia uh-huh. question. Twice w- now? Twice now, Mike? Come on, you got this. We don't want to hear that this week, Mike. No excuses. No excuses. Come on, you got this. You can do it. Let's go, man. Or somebody else can sweep in and take it from him. That too. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 20, The First Task, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 20, The First Task, Part 2. Harry's focus on the charm had distracted him from his blind panic, which returned with a vengeance the following morning. The school's atmosphere is extremely tense and excited, and Harry feels oddly separate from everyone else, who either wishes him luck or hisses an insult at him as he passes. Time is passing at weird intervals, and all of a sudden he's in the Great Hall for lunch, and Professor McGonagall hurries over to him to tell him that he has to head to the grounds to get ready for the first task. He stands, Hermione wishes him luck, and he follows McGonagall out of the Great Hall. She also looks extremely anxious as she puts a hand on his shoulder and tells him to keep a cool head and do his best. She leads him to a tent that has been set up, blocking the dragons from view, and Harry heads inside to find the other champions, also looking nervous. Ludo Bagman greets him, wearing his old wasp robes again, and says that it's time to fill them in since they're all there. He holds up a purple sack and explains that, while the audience gathers, they will each select a small model of the thing they're about to face out of the bag, and their task is to collect the golden egg. Harry feels sick, Cedric looks slightly green as he nods, and Victor and Fleur don't react at all. The silence is cut by the sounds of hundreds of feet and excited voices passing the tent, and then Bagman offers the purple sack to Fleur. She reaches in and draws out a tiny model of a Welsh green with the number two around its neck. Harry can tell by the look on her face that Madame Maxime had told her what was coming. The same is true for Crumb, who pulls out the red Chinese fireball with a number three. Cedric picks the bluish-gray Swedish short snout with a number one, leaving Harry with the Hungarian horntail and the number four. Bagman explains that the number refers to the order in which they are to take on the dragons and says that he will have to leave in a moment because he is commentating. Before he goes, he asks for a quick word with Harry, who is confused but follows him out of the tent. Bagman asks Harry how he's feeling and if he can get him anything, saying he doesn't mind sharing a few pointers since Harry is the underdog. Harry insists that he's fine and has a plan and is saved by a whistle blowing. Bagman has to run off and Harry heads back to the tent as Cedric emerges from it. He gives a hoarse grunt that's meant to be good luck and heads back into the tent with Fleur and Crumb as Cedric faces the living counterpart of his model. Being able to hear the commentary and the crowd gasp and scream makes sitting and waiting worse than Harry could have imagined. After about 15 minutes, there's a deafening roar and that implies Cedric made it past the dragon and got the golden egg. Bagman calls for the judge's marks, but does not shout them out, instead saying one down, three to go. He calls for Miss Delacour, and she leaves the tent trembling from head to foot. Harry and Crumb are the only two now left in the tent, and they're at opposite sides, avoiding each other's gaze. The same process starts again, and after about ten minutes, Harry hears more applause. Then, for the third time, a whistle. Crumb heads out to face his dragon, leaving Harry alone in the tent to listen to the commentary and the crowd react to Crumb's turn. After more applause, Harry knew it would be his turn at any moment and stands up. 
At the whistle blow, he walks out of the tent, panic rising, and heads past the trees into the enclosure. He could see hundreds and hundreds of faces staring down at him from the stands and the horn tail at the other end of the enclosure. She's a monstrous, scaly black lizard crouching over her eggs, staring at Harry with yellow eyes as she thrashes her spiked tail. He can hear the crowd making noise, but doesn't know or care if it's friendly or not. He clears his mind, focuses on his broom, and shouts, Oxio Firebolt. He waits, hoping and praying that it works, and then hears something speeding through the air behind him. He turns to see his firebolt soaring into the enclosure. It stops next to him to mount, and everything around Harry changes. He jumps on the broom and soars upwards, leaving his fear behind, feeling that this is nothing more than just another Quidditch match. Employing diversionary tactics, he dives and pulls out of it just in time to avoid a jet of fire from the horn tail. Ludo Bagman is extremely impressed by Harry's flying and wonders if Crumb is watching. Harry continues to fly higher in a circle, trying to make the dragon dizzy. He dives as the dragon opens its mouth again, and though he misses the fire, the tail spikes graze his shoulder, ripping his robes and leaving a shallow cut. Harry realizes he's going to have to persuade the protective mother to leave her eggs and begins to fly back and forth, just out of reach. Her head follows his progress as he moves a bit higher and then a bit more. She lets out a roar of frustration and finally rears up to try and reach Harry. But before she knows it, he's speeding towards the ground and seizes the unprotected golden egg. He accelerates more and flies up over the stands, hearing the crowd cheering as Bagman announces that the youngest champion is the quickest to get his egg. The dragon keepers rush forward to subdue the horntail, and Professor McGonagall, Professor Moody, and Hagrid are all smiling and hurrying to meet Harry at the entrance to the enclosure. Harry flies towards them and lands, feeling much better than he had in weeks. McGonagall tells him how excellent he was and tells him to get Madame Pomfrey to look at his shoulder. Hagrid congratulates him and Harry has to cut him off before he reveals that he had shown him the dragons. Professor Moody looks pleased as Harry heads out of the enclosure and is greeted by a disgusted Madame Pomfrey who is not happy about the dragons. She cleans up Harry's shoulder to heal it before he can get his scores and tells him to wait quietly for a minute. He's not able to sit and gets up to head back out of the tent, but is greeted by Hermione and Ron before he makes it out. Hermione squeaks that he was brilliant and amazing and Harry can see the fingernail marks still on her face from where she had been clutching it. Ron looks extremely pale and very seriously tells Harry that he reckons whoever put Harry's name in that goblet was trying to do him in. Harry initially gives a cold response, but as Ron begins to apologize, he tells him it's okay and to forget it. The two boys grin at each other and Hermione bursts into tears, calls them both stupid, and gives them a hug before running off crying. Ron thinks she's crazy, but tells Harry that they will be putting up the score soon. Harry grabs his firebolt and the golden egg and they head out of the tent. Ron talking about how Harry was easily the best. Cedric transfigured a rock into a dog to distract the dragon. He managed to get the egg, but the dragon lost interest in the dog partway in and he ended up getting burned. Fleur used a charm to put the dragon into a trance, but her skirt also ended up catching fire. Crumb didn't even think of flying, instead hit it with some sort of spell right in the eye and the dragon ended up squashing half of her real eggs, so he lost points for that. They reach where the five judges are sitting and watch as Madame Maxime uses her wand to send a silver number eight into the air. 
Crouch and Dumbledore both award Harry a 9, and Ludo Bagman gives him a 10. Karkaroff pauses for a moment, then shoots a 4 in the air, prompting Ron to furiously call him lousy, biased scum, since he gave Crumb a 10. Harry doesn't even care, because having Ron back on his side is worth about 100 points to him. Charlie Weasley runs forward and tells him that Harry is tied in first place with Victor Crumb. Then he says he's got to run to write an owl to his mom. He tells him to hang around for a few more minutes because Bagman wants another word. Ron waits as Harry re-enters the tent and sees the other three champions also enter the tent. One side of Cedric's face is covered in a thick orange paste, but he grins at Harry when he sees them and they congratulate each other. Ludo Bagman bounces into the tent and tells them all well done before launching into the information about the next task. It will take place on the morning of February the 24th, and the clue they need in the meantime is inside the golden eggs. He points out the hinges on the eggs and then sends them off. Harry leaves the tent and rejoins Ron to head back to the castle. They are interrupted by Rita Skeeter, who congratulates him and asks for a quick word about how he felt facing the dragon and the fairness of the scoring. Harry gives her the word, goodbye, and he and Ron walk off. The movie scene starts out with an establishing shot of the castle and a stadium with a neighboring tent for the first task. It focuses on the stadium and rotates around it to the other side of it as Fred and George can be heard calling for bets to be placed. The scene then switches to a view of some Hogwarts students cheering from inside the stadium as one of the twins accepts a bet in a case he is carrying around. The scene changes again, showing the inside of the tent, where Harry, Cedric, Fleur, and Victor all nervously stand and pace around, waiting for the first task to begin. Harry wanders towards one of the canvas walls of the tent and hears a psst sound on the other side of it. He pulls the fabric aside from the inside as Hermione shifts it from the outside and asks if that's Harry. He says yes, and she asks him how he's feeling. He doesn't really have a response, so she continues talking telling him that the key is to concentrate, and after that she trails off, and Harry fills in that he just has to battle a dragon. Hermione whimpers and lunges through the gap in the fabric to throw her arms around Harry, right as Rita Skeeter and her photographer enter to get a good shot of it. She walks towards them, talking about how young love is so stirring, and Harry and Hermione step away from one another a bit. As Rita continues to talk about the article about them that might make it on the front page, Victor Crumb walks forward and tells her that she has no business being there. The tent is for the champions and their friends. He glowers at the reporter and she says, no matter, they've got what they want, and the photographer takes one more picture before they step off to the side. Then Dumbledore, Crouch, Karkaroff, and Madame Maxime enter the tent. Dumbledore begins to address the champions that the moment only four of them can fully appreciate has at last arrived, before realizing that the student he has his arm around is Miss Granger. He interrupts himself to ask what she is doing there, and she apologizes and says she'll go. As she leaves, Dumbledore asks Barty to get the bag, and he steps forward, holding a black and purple bag. He asks the champions to stand in a circle around him before holding the slightly smoking bag out for Fleur to draw what she will be facing out of it. She cautiously reaches into the bag and pulls out a miniature green dragon that Mr. Crouch refers to as the Welsh Green. She looks up at her headmistress with concern as they both look down at the dragon. Crouch then offers the bag to Crumb, who pulls out the Chinese fireball. Cedric then chooses the Swedish short snout, and it leaves only one dragon left for Harry to pick. 
Harry whispers the horn tail under his breath and then loudly says nothing when Crouch asks him what he said. He reaches in the bag and removes the miniature Hungarian horn tail. Mr. Crouch then tells them that the miniatures represent four very real dragons that each champion will have to get past to retrieve a golden egg that contains a clue needed for the next task. He asks for questions, but no one says anything, so Dumbledore begins to tell Cedric that he will go first at the sound of the cannon. He barely gets the phrase out when Filch fires the cannon, causing the tent to shift and the people in it to gasp in surprise. Dumbledore rolls his eyes and sends a very solemn Cedric out of the tent to the sound of the crowd chanting, Diggory! Diggory! The scene time lapses to show Harry, the last champion, sitting on a cot and waiting alone in the tent for his turn. He hears Dumbledore's magnified voice say that three of their champions have now faced the dragons and gotten their clue for the next task, then announce that it is the fourth and final contestant's turn. Harry stands, and the scene transitions to a view of a rocky terrain from inside a cave. Harry steps into the frame, and the camera follows him out and into the center of the stadium, where he looks around and sees the cheering crowd. The camera briefly focuses on the Gryffindor section, showing Neville, Hermione, and Ron amidst other students, and then cuts back to Harry, who looks around and sees the golden egg on top of a rock in the near distance. He begins to step towards it, but is immediately impeded by the dragon's horned tail as it crashes right down by him, causing rocks to fly everywhere and Harry to dive to the side. The audience watches and gasps in horror as he gets up as quickly as possible and looks at the dragon, which is huge, covered in spikes, and is chained around its neck. Harry dodges the fire it breathes at him and runs away, attempting to climb up one of the rocks. The dragon takes flight, getting as high as the chain will allow it to, and uses its tail to again crash down next to Harry and knock him off the rock. The audience cringes as it swings its tail at Harry and sends him flying across the arena. The dragon lands back on a rock and roars as Harry struggles to get back to his feet and dodge another jet of flame. Karkaroff laughs and Hermione yells for Harry to use his wand. He points his wand up and calls Akio Firebolt, and then moves to hide behind a rock as the dragon lifts off again to try to get him back in view. He catches his breath and then peeks out from behind the rock to see his broomstick flying towards him through the air. Before it is close enough, he has to duck back behind the rock as the dragon roars and begins to breathe more flame at it. As soon as the flames stop, he jumps up just as his broom flies right to him and jumps on, flying off just as the dragon breathes more fire. Hermione and even Ron are clapping and cheering as he nearly makes it to the golden egg, but has to dodge the dragon's flames at the last second and instead flies up high into the air. Covering his eyes, Draco looks disappointed that the flames missed Harry as the dragon attempts to follow him, but is hindered by the chain around its neck. It roars and gives a good yank, snapping the chain and freeing itself. Hermione, Ron, and Ginny look extremely concerned that the dragon is free, and Harry flies as fast as he can away from it, choosing to go under the awning above the teacher's seats rather than over it. The dragon chases after him, completely tearing the fabric away and knocking several people out of their seats. One of the twins yells, Well done, dragon! Snape and McGonagall both sit up, looking concerned and a little disoriented, and Rita Skeeter's glasses are all askew. Harry flies away from the stadium out over the Hogwarts grounds, and the loose dragon tears after him. He keeps looking behind him as the dragon gets closer and closer and tries to snap at him. Nearing the Hogwarts castle, Harry flies over it, seeming to have lost the dragon. 
He guides his broom around one of the towers and is surprised when the dragon pops up in front of him, swinging its tail. Harry is knocked from his broom and slides down the roof, barely managing to grab hold of the peak above one of the windows and stopping his fall. The dragon perches on the roof of the triple tower off to the side, and Harry grabs an ornamental spike in an attempt to get a better grip as he looks around and notices his broom sitting on top of the window directly below him. The dragon begins to climb across the tower roof, its claws tearing into the tiles, and the spike Harry is holding onto breaks off, causing him to plummet to the window below. He manages to catch the edge of it and struggles to get a good grip as the ledge breaks off under his feet. The dragon continues to creep closer as Harry attempts to edge to the side of the window so he can reach up for the handle of his broom. He just gets his hand on it as the dragon looms from around the edge of the roof. He tugs on the broom, but it is stuck, and he can't get it loose until the dragon lunges towards Harry and demolishes the entire window. Harry again starts falling, but this time he has his broom and is able to get it between his legs right as he flies off the edge of the tower. Weaving through and around the castle, he continues to narrowly evade the dragon. The dragon breathes more fire and slightly catches Harry's broomtail, though he keeps flying, making his way towards the bridge leading to the castle. The dragon manages to clip his broom right as he reaches the bridge, and it sends Harry bouncing through it and tumbling out the other side. The dragon hits the top of it, tearing it up a little, and hurtles down after him. The camera cuts to the stadium again where everyone is watching in silence, unsure of what just happened. They all look around and then begin cheering as Harry flies up over the horizon on a slightly smoking broom. Looking a little worse for the wear, he makes his way back to the stadium and directs his broom into a dive down towards the golden egg. The second half of chapter 20 still has corresponding film scenes, but like last week's episode, the film uses the book chapter more as guidelines than actual rules. Yeah, but thanks to us deciding where to cut the chapter and movie section for the episode, we actually have them starting in basically the same place. Yay! Yay! The book has more of a narrative introduction, letting us know that Harry's focus on the charm has distracted him from his blind panic, which, you know, returns with a vengeance when he wakes up that next morning like, oh no, I have to face a dragon. (laughs) The school's atmosphere is extremely tense and excited. Well, yeah. Like, the tension is from having to wait for the event, and the excitement is from having to wait for the event. (laughs) But it makes Harry feel like he's existing with his own little bubble, because the only interaction he's getting from other people is them either wishing him good luck or just hissing an insult at him. And he's just like, yeah, thanks. (laughs) Which, that seems like a normal coping mechanism. Yeah. It also lets us know that Time is passing at weird intervals. And again, this is something that I get because you know how it can be when you're waiting for something. So it seems to be taking forever for that hour to pass. Mm -hmm. But when you don't want that hour to pass, it's like that and it's over in a second. I snap my fingers. I don't know if the microphone picked that up. (laughs) But all of a sudden he's in the great hall for lunch and Professor McGonagall hurries over to him to tell him that he has to head to the grounds to get ready for the first task. It's here. It's now. It's on like Donkey Kong. Exactly. (laughs) So he gets up and follows her out of the Great Hall. Hermione wishes him good luck as he leaves. And even McGonagall's looking really anxious. Oh, honestly. Dead man walking. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Actually, she puts her hand on his shoulder and tells him to do his best. But she's thinking, dead man walking. (laughs) 
Instead of creating the narrative of Harry's mental state, the movie opens on an establishing aerial view of the castle and a stadium with a neighboring tent for the first task on an overcast and gloomy day. We hear Fred and George calling for bets to be placed. We then see the inside of the stadium where the twins are walking through the crowd taking wagers from the students. Which I feel like does a decent job of quickly establishing at least what the atmosphere of the school has reached. Mm Mm-hmm. As well as sets up the scene well. Sure. In the book, McGonagall leads him to a tent that's been set up that also blocks the dragons from view because they aren't supposed to know about him yet, even though they do. Dragons? What? What? (laughs) And Harry heads inside to find the other champions all looking nervous. Plus, he finds Ludo Bagman, who's again wearing his old wasp robes. I do. I just picture James Corden in yellow robes with a bumblebee on it. <laughs> That's just what it is. He is a bumblebee. Yeah. And I know that it's a wasp, not a bumblebee, but it's James Corden and it's Ludo Bagman. So it's a bumblebee in my head. <laughs> it's one of those things where somebody keeps calling it a bumblebee and Ludo Bagman's like, it's a wasp guy. <laughs> They're like, whatever, bumblebee. But he says now that all of the champions are there, it's time to fill them in. Obviously, Ludo does not greet Harry in the movie, as they left him out completely. Mm -hmm. Instead, the camera then cuts to the inside of the champion's tent, where Harry, Cedric, Crumb, and Fleur are all shitting respective bricks in anticipation of their upcoming brush with death. Ooh, it's so fun. As Harry wanders towards the wall of the tent, he hears the sound of either a leaky tire or someone urinating. Oh, wait, no, that's, sorry, that's just Hermione being a creeper. Which was not part of the book chapter at all. Yeah, no, they totally added this in. She opens the tent flap from her side just enough for us to see that it's her as she asks if that's Harry. He says yes, and she asks him how he's feeling. He jerks his head as if to say, you're kidding, right? But she can't see him, so she continues talking saying the key is to concentrate, and Harry finishes her thought when she can't find the words, don't fucking die. Which, you know, probably a good mantra. It's in my head daily, that's for sure. (laughs) Hermione whimpers and lunges through the gap in the fabric to embrace Harry, right as Rita Skeeter, queen of bad timing, or in her case, good timing, I Mm -hmm. guess, and her photographer enter and get a good shot of it. She walks towards them, dictating to her quick quotes quill about how young love is so... Stirring. And Harry and Hermione put some space between themselves. Fucking trash, Rita. Oh my, she's so cringy. Ugh. Cringe. As Rita continues to talk out of her ass about the two lovers making the front page of Harry Bites It today, Victor Crumb walks forward to shut that shit down in our first glimpse of what is truly some surprising character development, considering he doesn't really have a character in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) He stares that bitch down, and she shrugs and rakes her eyes over him in that creepy, lecherous way that only Trash Rita can, saying, it's no matter, she's got what she wanted. The cameraman gets one more shot before following her off to the side of the tent. I like to think that Crumb spoke up because he didn't like the fact that she was insinuating Harry and Hermione had a thing. That's what I always assumed it was, where it was like him going, not them. Uh-uh. No, she mine. Yeah. <laughs> Crumb. Crumb like Hermione. <laughs> Hermione. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Bushy girl crumbs. Also, being a professional Quidditch player, 
you know he's used to talking to reporters. Well, yeah. He's probably even dealt with her before. Oh, he must have at this point. Anyway, Dumbledore, Crouch, Karkaroff, Filch, and Madame Maxime then enter the tent. Dumbledore begins to address the champions about how the moment only four of them can fully appreciate has at last arrived before realizing that the student he has his arm around is Miss Granger. (laughs) What? It's kind of (laughs) weird. He interrupts himself to ask what the fuck she's doing there and she stammers out an apology and pieces the fuck out. And this is a completely unnecessary little comedic addition to the scene. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to lie. It does amuse me. It amuses me, too. He's just like, Miss Granger, what are you doing yeah. here? <laughs> I kind of love the realization. He's like, holy shit, you shouldn't be here. Like, You're not one of the champions. And he's yeah. like, got his arm around her. Like, right? It's amusing. <laughs> I like it. As she leaves, Dumbledore tells Barty to get the bag, and he steps forward holding a velvet black and purple bag. And of course, this isn't the same as the book, since in the book, it's not Barty Crouch with the purple sack. It's Ludo Bagman. He holds it up and explains that while the audience gathers, they will each select a small model of the thing they're about to face out of this bag, and their task is to collect the golden egg. Harry feels sick. Like he does. Cedric looks slightly green as he nods. Like he does. And Fleur and Victor don't react at all. Like they do. Sure. Mm-hmm. The silence is cut by the sounds of hundreds of feet and excited voices passing the tents. And then Bagman offers the purple satchel to Fleur. She reaches in and draws out a tiny model of a Welsh green dragon with a number two around its neck. Harry can tell by the look on her face that Madame Maxime had in fact told her student what was coming. Like we assumed. (laughs) Aside from replacing Bagman with Crouch, this isn't completely different. He asks the champions to stand in a very specific circle around him before holding the slightly smoking bag open for Fleur to see what she will be facing. She cautiously reaches into the bag and flinches as she pulls out a miniature green dragon that Mr. Crouch refers to as the Welsh Green. She looks up at her headmistress with concern and they both look down at the dragon. The dragon is also less of a miniature model of a dragon and more of an actual mini fucking dragon. It's kind of adorable. It is kind of adorable, Mm -hmm. but it also doesn't have a number around its neck. Yeah, very true. Next up in the book, it's Crumb who draws a dragon out of the satchel, and it's very clear that he is also well aware that he's about to pull out a dragon. I mean, obviously, he just saw Fleur do it, too, but there's no shock about it. And he pulls out the red Chinese fireball with a number three. Cedric then picks the bluish-gray Swedish short snout with a number one, leaving Harry with the Hungarian horntail and the number four. The movie actually follows the order the book supplied, and Crouch then offers the bag to Crumb, who draws the Chinese fireball, causing Crouch to weirdly comment, Ooh. It was creepy. Cedric then chooses the Swedish short snout, which leaves only one dragon left for Harry to pick. Harry whispers, The horntail, under his breath, as he craps himself. Like you do. And when Crouch asks him what he said, he denies having said anything. I don't know what the dragon is. I didn't say what the dragon was. I wasn't predicting it. I don't know anything. Nothing. Nothing. Dragons. What are dragons? What? What? He reaches into the bag and removes the miniature Hungarian horntail, who, even in tiny form, looks like a dick. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Crouch then states the painfully obvious by telling them that the miniatures represent four very real dragons that each champion will have to get past without dying. Very important point. 
to retrieve a golden egg that contains a clue that they can't get to the next task without. In the book, Bagman had already explained that what they find in the bag is what they have to get past in order to collect the golden egg. Mm -hmm. So he just tells them that the number refers to the order in which they are to take on the dragons and says that he has to leave in a moment because he's commentating. But before he goes, he asks for a quick word with Harry, who's very confused but follows him out of the tent. This obviously can't happen in the movie as Bagman isn't there. Hmm. Crouch just asks for questions, but they're all too busy planning their own funerals. So Dumbledore begins to tell Cedric that he will go first at the sound of the cannon. He barely gets the phrase out when Filch fires the cannon somewhat prematurely. Don't worry, Filch. I hear it happens to all guys. (laughs) The blast shakes the tent and gives everyone's already high blood pressure a kick in the pants. So Dumbledore rolls his eyes and sends an ill-looking Cedric out of the tent and into oblivion, while the deafening crowd chants, Diggory! 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 Before the first task can officially start in the book, we got this weird conversation between Bagman and Harry where the adult is like, Are you okay? Can I get you anything? I don't mind sharing a few pointers. You're the underdog. And it's super fishy. Like, that's weird. Dude. Mm -hmm. But Harry's just like, I'm fine. (laughs) I have a plan. He's like, I know what I'm going to do. And Bagman's like, well, no one would know. Wink. (laughs) (laughs) So creepy. But then Harry's saved by a whistle blowing because Bagman has to run off to start the tournament, basically. Harry heads back into the tent right as Cedric emerges from it and he tries to wish him good luck and he just kind of (laughs) grunts. That's how I imagine that. So Cedric goes off to try to not die and Harry goes back in the tent with Fleur and Crumb and just kind of waits. Well, what else do you do at that point? Shit yourself. That's what I'm doing. And didn't he already do that? I mean, there's always more. Especially since having to sit in the tent and listen to the commentary and the reactions from the crowd, like their gasps and their screams, mm-hmm. is just way worse than Harry could have ever imagined. Right. You, you can't see anything that's happening. You just have to listen. Yeah. It probably sounds horrifying. But after about 15 minutes, which had to have felt like... 15 hours. Right. At least. (laughs) There's a deafening roar that implies Cedric made it past the dragon and got his golden egg. So good on him. Bagman calls for the judge's marks, but he doesn't shout them out loud. Instead, he just says one down, three to go and calls for Miss Delacour because her dragon had the two. (laughs) She leaves the tent trembling from head to foot. And this actually kind of endears her to Harry a little bit more. Mm -hmm. He's just like, oh, she's scared. Yeah. I'm scared bond (laughs) but he and crumb are the only two now left in the tent and they're just like avoiding each other's gaze they're like as far away from one another as they can be like i I can't look at you i'm gonna right i can't do this i'm gonna hurl i'm gonna hurl i'm gonna shit my pants more (laughs) the same torturous process starts again and after about 10 minutes harry hears more applause and then for the third time a whistle because now it's crumb's turn And when he leaves to go face his dragon, Harry is left alone in the tent. You'd think they'd leave some kind of adult supervision in there just to make sure. Like, what if they got sick from nerves and, like, passed out and then the whistle blows and they're, like, not ready to go face their dragon? I mean, I'm sure someone would go check on him then. But yeah, he's alone in the tent. And he's just listening to the commentary and the crowd reacting to Crumb's turn. 
And after more applause, he's just like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's time. And he stands up. This part of the scene is very much condensed. And it just fades to show Harry all by his lonesome sitting on a cot in the tent waiting for his turn. We hear Dumbledore's magnified voice say that the other three have gone and survived, moving on to the next round with their clues in hand. And now it was time for the last and least likely to survive. Harry motherfucking Potter. The boy on fire. Oh, shit. Wrong fandom. Sorry. <laughs> this boy is, is on fire. <laughs> He's actually not. That's Cedric's theme song. His broom is on fire. There we go. Yeah. That was awful. We apologize. It was terrible. But anyway, as that shows, since there is no bagman in the movies, Dumbledore is the one apparently doing the commentary. Mm-hmm. In the books... At the whistleblow, which I do want to note is not the canon, there's a difference. Well, the movies like things bigger and louder at all times. Apparently. So. <laughs> Harry walks out of the tent, his panic rising, and he heads past the trees into the enclosure. He could see hundreds and hundreds of faces staring down at him from the stands, and he can see the dragon on the other end of the enclosure. And Q pants shitting again. Yes. <laughs> Luckily, he wore his brown pants. <laughs> What's the book? Luckily, he wore his brown robes. There you go. So the dragon is a monstrous, scaly black lizard. She's crouched over her eggs very protectively, and she's just staring Harry down with these yellow eyes and thrashing her spiked tail. Okay, so I just shit my pants. Right? <laughs> and he has to walk closer to that. He can hear the crowd making noise, but he doesn't know or care if it's actually friendly noise. Are people booing him? Are they cheering? Eh, I don't give a shit. There's a big ass dragon right there. Well, <laughs> all of my shits have been given to this dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so this starts out sort of the same in the movie. Harry stands and the scene fades to him walking through the rocky terrain inside a cave with the sound of his name being chanted. Harry, Harry, Harry. Or Potter, Potter, Potter. He walks out of the mouth of the cave and into the center of the stadium where he looks around and sees the cheering crowd. And this is interesting because in the book it was trees. Mm -hmm. And it's very rocky terrain in the movie. Yeah. Like it's very rocky terrain in the movie and everyone's way up high. Yeah. Which again, I mean, fire breathing lizard, maybe don't put trees around him. That's all I'm saying. The camera briefly focuses on the Gryffindor section, and we see for the first time in the movie that not everyone hates him. Like, we pretty much were shown. Or it seems like we were shown. Which is accurate to the book, since mm -hmm. they threw him a party to celebrate that he got picked. So. Exactly. Which, as far as we can tell at all, they never did in the movie. So, we then cut back to Harry, who looks around and sees the golden egg on top of a rock in the near distance. So the book had Harry immediately see the dragon protecting her eggs. Mm -hmm. When the movie just kind of had the golden egg out in the open and the dragon in stealth mode. Yeah. Well, and they never mention like in the book that they wanted mothering dragons. Yeah. There was so, no nest. Yeah, there was no nest. There it were was no other eggs. Golden egg. Mm -hmm. For some reason, this dragon is just trained to protect it or something protect gold or, maybe or maybe it's just it, that's definitely a dragon yeah. thing it loves gold fuck <laughs> <laughs> dragons do like gold and they treasure do. 
So it, it could also just be this fuck this person is way too close to me right now and it looks like a snack. Yeah. I'm going to roast it and I'm going to eat that marshmallow. Right. I like the idea better of them using mothering dragons though just because mama bear. Like there's oh, yeah. a reason mama bears are a thing. Like mama going to fuck you up. Right. <laughs> and because dragons aren't dangerous enough. Yeah, exactly. Let's add another layer to it and put its children in danger. Yeah, but Harry begins to step towards the egg, which again is right out in the open, but is immediately reminded that there is a giant flying flame lizard looking to kill the shit out of anyone who goes near that egg when a big ass horn tail crashes down right by him. Rocks go flying everywhere, causing Harry to dive to the side and take cover. The audience watches and gasps in horror as he gets up quickly as possible and checks out his big ass aptly named dragon that is covered in spikes and looks mad as shit. Luckily, it has a leash, which I'm sure will hold it. No problem. Oh, sure. It's totally reliable. Right? Chain leashes definitely hold giant ass spike dragons. Sure. The main difference here is how the dragon actually looks because the movie Horntail was more tannish in color with spikes all down its back mm-hmm. rather than being black and having spikes only on its tail. But who's shocked that the movie dramatized the look of the dragon? Not I. Nor I. <laughs> it breathes a big old fireball at Harry and he dodges it and runs away and tries to scurry up a rock. The dragon flaps its wings to get as airborne as it can, what with the chain link tether keeping it somewhat grounded, and smashes its tail right back down and comes within inches of turning Harry into a kebab. Harry kebab. <laughs> the audience cringes as it swings its tail and sends Harry flying across the arena. At this moment, Ron seems to finally realize how stupid he has been. Yeah, but this is quite different from the book. Mm-hmm. Because Harry never stupidly walks towards the egg to get nearly barbecued. Though, I mean, to be fair, he couldn't do that in the book because the dragon was there the whole time. Yeah, but he doesn't waste any time with stupid tactics. He just clears his mind, focuses on his broom, and shouts, Axio Firebolt. He waits, hoping and praying that it works, and then hears something speeding through the air behind him. Hmm. Hmm. It must have worked. Must have. He turns and sees his firebolt soaring into the enclosure. It stops next to him to mount, and when Harry gets on his broom, everything changes. He just soars straight upwards and leaves all of his fear behind on the ground, and... In his mind, this is just another Quidditch match. That dragon is just another annoying opposing team. I mean... He's got this. He can do this. He's on it. However, that is not nearly dramatic enough for the movie. Because why would it be? The dragon lands back on the rock and roars as Harry struggles to get back to his feet and dodge yet another jet of flame. Karkaroff shows off his Azkaban teeth, like... Really? Is there not a spell to take care of those bitches? Like, his teeth are fucking nasty. They're gross. Come on. And Hermione yells for Harry to use his wand as though he can hear her over the sound of fiery death in his ears. Nevertheless, he does finally take out his wand to summon his broom and hunkers down behind a rock to wait to see if the charm worked while the dragon takes flight once more to look for him. Harry peeks out from behind the rock to see his firebolt flying towards him just as the dragon sees Harry and shoots another burst of flame at him. 
Once it stops, Harry runs out from behind the rock and jumps in the air, landing right on his broom and all but ensuring the need for some sort of testicle retrieval charm in the future. Axio testicles? That's... I mean, I hope that works. <laughs> honestly. That or it's just a really effective and disturbing way to torture someone. <laughs> But this is where the movie really deviates from the book. Because in the book, Harry just uses some diversionary tactics and he tries to entice the dragon off the nest of eggs. He dives and pulls out of it just in time to avoid a jet of fire from the horn tail. And Ludo Bagman is just like super impressed with Harry's flying. Like, great Scott, he can fly. Are you watching this crumb? <laughs> Ludo human now? Right. Hmm. Harry continues to fly higher in a circle, trying to make the dragon dizzy. And every time she starts to, like, breathe fire again, he just dives to avoid. And he misses the fire. She shoots some fire at him, and he misses that. But she manages to catch his shoulder with her tail. And the spikes just kind of slightly cut him. Could have been worse. Mm-hmm. But this dragon just does not want to leave that nest. So Harry's just like flying back and forth and she's just like, nope, nope, these are my eggs. You cannot have them. I don't care if there's a stranger in here. I will adopt that bitch. This is my egg. You cannot have it. <laughs> and so Harry starts flying back and forth right above her head. And every time she he gets just a little bit higher and a little bit higher, but makes sure she can still see him. And she's just like following the progress and her neck stretching up. And she just finally she just wants to swat that goddamn fly. And she <laughs> gets up. And before she knows what's happening, Harry just dives, swoops down under her, grabs the golden egg. And everyone starts cheering because Bagman has announced that the youngest champion is the quickest to get his egg. And why the fuck couldn't they have just done that? That's still exciting. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Maybe it was just the way you were saying it, but I was like, I was all about that whole scene. On the edge of the seat? And yeah. none of that, none of that did I read. That was me no. just talking about what happened. I know. But Newell needed to use the entire CGI budget on this dragon scene. Because why save any money to like spend later, I guess? Newell. Hermione and Ron are clapping and cheering as he nearly makes it to the golden egg. Nearly makes it? How can you nearly make it? <laughs> but once again, that fire-breathing bitch is out for blood and Harry has to quickly maneuver away. Draco is disappointed that the flames missed Harry, but as the dragon attempts to take flight once again and follow after him, the chain hinders it from really getting air. And in a move absolutely no one planned for, but everyone should have fucking expected, it roars and gives a good yank, snapping the chain and freeing itself. And because this is all happening to Harry, mayhem inevitably ensues. Yep. All mayhem. All the time. That's again the sum up of the book series. Mm -hmm. Mayhem inevitably ensues. Harry flies away from it as fast as he can and decides to go with an old Quidditch tactic for when something volatile and unpredictable is chasing him. Fly through the stands and endanger everyone else's life as well as his own. It is what they do in the movies. I mean, it's kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> this time, he goes through the faculty stands because fuck the only people who can actually protect him from a pissed off dragon. However, it could be retribution from Harry for making him compete in this Scorch Trails bullshit to begin with, so... Fair. Who knows? 
The dragon naturally chases after him, completely tearing the fabric of the canopy away and knocking a good chunk of people on their asses, including Snape, McGonagall, and the most deserving of the fire lizard's beatdown, Rita Skeeter. Trash Rita. Mm-hmm. The twins cheer on the carnage with one of them shouting, Well done, dragon! Obviously, that was Fred. George. Fred. George. George. Fred. Fuck. It was a twin. It was a twin. <laughs> the scene could have and, let's face it, should have ended on the high note of the twins fanboying the horntail, but no. They keep this incredibly unnecessary chase scene going for a staggeringly irritating amount of time. Right. I just want to jump in here and say that... When the dragon was a little disoriented from flying into the teacher's things and knocking them all askew, Harry could have used that opportunity to get to the golden egg. Oh, yeah. Definitely. But did he? No. No, he didn't. What did he do instead, Katie? I'm going to tell you what this dumbass did. (laughs) Harry flies away from the stadium, out over the Hogwarts grounds, and the loose dragon tears after him like any good bloodthirsty beast would do. The dragon gains on Harry and snaps at his heels as he dodges towers and spires in his way. Harry flies over the castle, seeming to have lost the dragon, but when he rounds one of the towers, he is surprised when it comes at him from the other side, tail swinging wildly. Like it does. Harry is knocked from his broom and slides down the roof, barely managing to grab hold of one of the gabled windows to stop his fall. The dragon perches on the roof of another tower to the side, and Harry grabs an ornamental spike in an attempt to get a better grip as he looks around and notices his broom sitting on top of the window directly below him. Meanwhile, I'm ready to hurl. (laughs) (laughs) Have I mentioned that I don't like heights and watching people fall? It bothers me, like, a lot, so I really don't like it. The dragon begins to climb across the tower roof, its claws crushing the tiles beneath, causing who knows how much damage. And the spike Harry is holding on to breaks off because it's ornamental, not functional. Who designs a window to let you hang off of it? Right. <laughs> Especially that high up in the goddamn... Right. That just seems like a terrible idea. Honestly. Although now Harry's probably like, it would have been a good idea. Right. <laughs> but... Just in case a dragon knocked you off of your broom above the castle and you had to grab hold of it to not fall to the ground, it would have been really nice to have this be functional. Wow, that was a nice rant. Thank you. Apparently they don't think like us, though. No, apparently not. Very few people do. (laughs) It's scary in here. It's probably probably a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) But this causes him to fall to the window below, just barely managing to get hold of it as the ledge under his feet breaks off. Again, have I mentioned I don't like watching people fall? And he falls like seven times in this section. Like, it's so overdone. Oh, I hate it. I hate it because it's too much. Like, just let him get the fucking egg and go. And also just because I hate watching people fall in general. It was very overblown because we're Mm. not done yet. No, we ain't done yet. Oh, no. That's really cute. No. The dragon continues to creep closer as Harry attempts to edge to the side of the window so he can reach his broom. Just as he gets his hand on it, the dragon rounds the tower and sees Harry struggling to free his broom from the corner of the gable. Luckily, the dragon is sympathetic to his plight. And helps Harry out by simply removing the entire window to help him get his firebolt free. Nice dragon. Well, he doesn't want his meal to be too easy. Right? He likes the chase. You want to tenderize it a little bit before you just gobble it down. You know? Harry again starts falling. With his broom in his hands, at least this time. That's that's good. It's looking up. He's able to get himself back in flight by swinging it swiftly between his legs. 
Weaving around the towers and spires, Harry continues to dodge the dragon's sharp-ass teeth and hot-ass fire. Some of his broom bristles aren't so lucky, and they start smoldering. But Harry keeps flying, making his way towards the bridge leading to the castle. The dragon manages to clip his broom right as he reaches the bridge, and it sends Harry bouncing through it and tumbling down and out the other side. The dragon hits the top of it, tearing it up a little bit, and more than likely fucking the structural integrity of it before hurtling down after him. I mean, that dragon's done a lot of damage. It really had, like... Do you feel like all of the teachers are sitting there, like, watching this from a distance going, this was a bad idea? <laughs> I feel like if Ludo Bagman were in the movie, he would be sitting there going, who could have predicted this? <laughs> I had no idea this could go so wrong. And I feel like somebody like Barty Crouch would have to be freaking out at that disorder. Oh, Yeah. And I love that they put all these precautions in place supposedly to save their lives, but not a strong enough chain to hold a goddamn dragon. Because why? Especially since the camera cuts to the stadium again, where everyone is just like, what the fuck just happened? And what the fuck do we do now? Is he dead? I don't know what happened, guys. <laughs> but suddenly, Harry is spotted flying towards the stadium, looking a little worse for wear. And then the crowd Burst into cheers and applause, because what else do you do at that point? <laughs> he makes his way back to the stadium and sends his broom into a dive right to the golden egg. So basically, the only thing that was the same about the book and the movie is that Harry had to face a dragon to collect a golden egg. And he did summon his broom to do so. And that. <laughs> but every other little detail was completely different completely different and seeing as how in the book harry was the fastest to get the dragon's egg mm -hmm. if that was the fastest in the movie i'm really concerned about what kind of destruction the other dragons did right but luckily for us this is where the movie section ends right when harry grabs the egg the book of course keeps going the dragon keepers rush forward to subdue the horntail, and Professor McGonagall, Professor Moody, and Hagrid are all grinning and hurrying to meet Harry at the entrance to the enclosure. So he flies right towards them and lands, feeling much better than he had in weeks. I would imagine so. Yeah. McGonagall tells him how excellent he was, and for her to just be like, Potter, that was excellent, is huge. Mm -hmm. Few and far between on those kind of compliments from that lady. That's how you know she means him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she also tells him that he needs to have Madame Pomfrey look at his shoulder since he's got a little scratchy scratch. A little bit. Hagrid congratulates him and starts to say, well done, Harry. And you know, Charlie said the horntail was the worst. And Harry's just like, shut the fuck no, 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 up. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know anything about any of that. Charlie who? <laughs> the only time that line is okay. Right. <laughs> but he just cuts him off and. Make sure that he doesn't let the world know that he showed Harry the dragons ahead of time. Yep, good call. Professor Moody looks very pleased and just watches as Harry heads out of the enclosure where he is greeted by a disgusted Madame Pomfrey who is just like, Dragons! <laughs> <laughs> well, I never! <laughs> oh my star! Oh my star! <laughs> what has this world come to when we're having our babies fight dragons? <laughs> 
But she cleans up Harry's shoulder to heal it before he can go get his scores and tells him that he has to sit quietly for a few minutes. And Harry's just like, no, I don't. <laughs> Bitch, I gotta go get my scores. <laughs> I just defeated a dragon. I don't need to sit quietly for shit. <laughs> I do what I want. He gets up and starts to head out of the tent and runs into Ron and Hermione on the way. So we have a nice little makeup moment between Harry and Ron. Where Aww. Now kiss. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hermione squeaks that he was brilliant and amazing and she has fingernail marks in her face because she was just like clutching her face. And Ron is just like, oh my God, somebody was trying to kill you. <laughs> And Harry's just like, welcome to the fucking party, Ron. No shit, Sherlock. And he, he literally tells Harry, whoever put your name in the goblet is trying to kill you. And Harry's just like, yeah, <laughs> where you been? <laughs> and Ron starts to apologize. But Harry's just like, no, you know what? I'm done being petty. We're cool. <laughs> and then this makes Hermione start crying. Sure. And she just like starts howling and like hugs them both and tells them they're stupid and then just runs off. I mean, they kind of are. Yeah. So oh, there's not that. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but Ron thinks she's crazy. Yeah, she kind of is. Yeah. But he also tells Harry that they're going to be putting up the score soon. And so Harry grabs his firebolt and the golden egg and they start making their way out of the tent. And Ron's just kind of going crazy talking about the other champions because Harry didn't even get to see them. Yeah. So he's getting the play by play from Ron, who's talking about how Cedric transfigured a rock into a dog and tried to get the dog to distract the dragon and the dragon was just like oh dog nope human better so he ended up getting <laughs> burned but he did get the egg and that fleur used a charm that put the dragon in a trance though it like snorted some fire and her dress caught fire and she had to use her wand to make water come out of it and put the fire out on her skirt sure and then crumb who shockingly enough didn't even think of flying Use some sort of spell to hit it right in the eyes that kind of like disoriented the dragon and caused it to like stumble around and smash her other eggs, which is That's so really sad. sad. And they did take points away for that. I would hope so. Oh, yeah, I would think so. But according to Ron, Harry was easily the best. Yeah. So they get to where the five judges are sitting to watch them put the scores up. And Madame Maxime uses her wand to send a silver number eight in the air which is respectable. Mm -hmm. Crouch and Dumbledore both shoot up a nine, which is awesome. Yeah. Bagman gives him a 10 and Harry's just like, what are you talking about? I got hurt. <laughs> and Ron's like, don't complain. Take the 10. Right. <laughs> and then Karkaroff pauses for a moment and does some mental math and gives Harry a four. Well, of course he does. Which makes Ron just be like, you lousy bias scum. You gave Crumb a 10. But Harry doesn't even care. He's just like, yeah, it's a four that sucks. Yeah, I got bilked. But Ron's my best friend again. And that's worth 100 points. Mm -hmm. Truth. Considering that it's only out of 50, that's pretty awesome. Right. Well done. Charlie Weasley runs forward to tell them that Harry's tied in first place with Victor Crumb, which clearly he would have been in actual first place if Karkaroff could have been a real judge and not a biased scumbag. Right. I don't entirely like that the headmasters are the judges, if I'm honest. Yeah, that seems weird. It feels very, very weird. They should have been more impartial. Mm-hmm, definitely. But I digress. Charlie then has to leave because he wants to go write an owl to Mrs. Weasley because she's freaking out well, yeah. about the fact that... I I'm sure by this point she knows it's dragons, too. Oh, yeah, of course. So that probably... I don't. Well, I don't know. Maybe she didn't, but now she does, so... <laughs> 
I mean, she's got to be shitting bricks. So, yeah, definitely go right to her, Charlie. Damn. Yeah. But before he leaves, he tells Harry to hang around for a few more minutes because Bagman wants another word. Ron says he'll wait, and Harry goes back in the tent and watches as the other three champions enter as well. One side of Cedric's face is covered in a thick orange paste, so he got a face burn. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't care because he got past a motherfucking dragon again. Right. He earned that face burn. He's alive. And you know what? Chick stick scars. Chick stick scars. Mm-hmm. But he grins at Harry and the two of them congratulate each other because they're actually both good sports. Then Ludo Bagman bounces into the tent and he tells them all, well done, before launching into the information about the next task. So we learn that it takes place on the morning of February the 24th. So there's quite a bit of a break for them to figure out this clue mm-hmm. that's hidden inside the golden egg. And he points out that it has hinges so you can actually open up the egg and then sends them off. Mm -hmm. Harry leaves the tent, meets back up with Ron, and they start to head back to the castle, but are interrupted by Rita Skeeter, trash Rita, who congratulates Harry and asks for a quick word, wanting to know how he felt facing the dragon and how he feels now about the fairness of the scoring. And Harry is all of us at this moment. Because what does he tell her? He says, yeah, you can have a quick word. Goodbye. Oh. Mic drop. <laughs> and he and Ron walk off. And this is where the book chapter ends. That's a really good ending for, for- Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. yeah you can have a word. Goodbye. <laughs> Mic drop. Mm-hmm. Definitely. This will bring us to the actor's portion. And we still haven't gotten much of anything besides pretty from Fleur, but we can talk about Stanislav Lenevsky as Victor Crumb. Who is also kind of pretty. He's a bit of a pretty boy. Now he's not kind of pretty. Now he's just pretty. Yeah, he grew up nicely. Yes, but that is not the point to this. No, no, not at all. I thought he pulled the brooding confrontation well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't something from the book, so I can't really judge it to how I imagined it happening. But we know that as a character, he's supposed to be kind of sullen. He's supposed to be kind of broody. Yeah. I liked that it did have little extra layers to it, whether or not he meant them to be there. Like, it was good for that. Yeah. I loved his accent. Yeah. His his accent was so cute. (laughs) But it brought a little more depth to Victor Crumb yeah than I think I was expecting which is really good and he wasn't a huge character so no expectations probably weren't as high but I thought he did a good job Mm -hmm. I wish we actually could have gotten a little bit more from him because the books do give you a bit more later on but this is kind of all we really get from him it's pretty much it like I feel like this is the most dialogue he has yeah Which, I mean, you know, man, a few words, that's fine. We Mm -hmm. see him quite a bit after this, and that's... He does well there, too. It's just... He has a great presence on camera. He really does. I just wish we would have gotten to actually hear more from him, I guess. Our Potter Pondering this week is, what are your thoughts on how different the first task was in the movie compared to the book? As you heard, Katie really hated it. In case that wasn't clear. (laughs) Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Nikki Wilson. She writes, I am a Hufflepuff through and through. My wand is cypress wood with a unicorn hair core, ten and three quarters, and my Patronus is a wild boar. 
My ex introduced me to the movies a few years ago, and it has blossomed ever since. I'm not one to read, like, ever, but I just started the books and I am obsessed and never realized how different they really were. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Head story, Nikki. Yeah, thank you so much. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can just message it to us over social media. This will bring us to this week's trivia question. How much are Fred and George charging for canary creams? The first one who responds with a correct answer in the code word hashtag a bargain will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 21, the House Elf Liberation Front, and the not really corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.